Since Russia invaded Ukraine in February, the world has been wondering how the conflict might end. And imposing sanctions on Russia has been a key part of the international response. The goal is to make it economically painful for the Kremlin and those allied with it to wage war. Some of the targets, state-controlled companies, banks, the Russian defense industry. And they're strategically applying pressure to one group of citizens in particular, the elite and uber-wealthy. They're seizing their assets and yachts. They're banning oligarchs from travel, cutting them off from doing business. It's very difficult now, if not impossible, to conduct business as usual if you are one of the sanctioned oligarchs. Recode's Wizzy Kim is here to explain how the rich and powerful in Russia have become pawns in the international response to the invasion of Ukraine. And the goal here is not just to make them miserable, although I don't think they're very happy right now. The goal is to squeeze the uber wealthy, the elites of Russia, so that they will hopefully put pressure on Putin and his decision making in de-escalating the conflict in Ukraine. Does it seem realistic that the uber wealthy in Russia would actually hold some kind of sway over what Putin does? That's sort of the complicated part. There's been a great deal of evolution in the kinds of oligarchs that have power and what it really means to be an oligarch in Russia at all today. There are sort of the old school oligarchs who first came to power in the 1990s under President Boris Yeltsin. And that happened, you know, during the sort of privatization efforts after the fall of the Soviet Union. And they are kind of considered almost the outsiders now. They feel less influential. They feel less like they're holding the reins in the Kremlin or they have felt that way in the past decade or so. And then there's the second group, which are called the Siloviki. And these are men with generally ties to the security state or the military who Putin kind of helped install into power when he became president in 2000. Finally, we have the really close inner circle of Putin's friends who have the most access and, in theory, the most power over him. But experts say that even that has seemed to change recently. Putin seems very worried about COVID and is really adhering strictly to COVID protocols. So he's not really seeing anyone. Even the close friends don't have as much access to him now. That seems to be what experts are saying about him. So it sounds like in the past 15 or 20 years, the power of oligarchs has decreased. Has Putin played a role in that? Has that been a priority for him? Yeah, absolutely. It was a priority for him. So during his presidential campaign, he essentially said, I'm going to cut the oligarchs down to size. I'm going to rein them in. And that was a popular thing to say because ordinary Russian citizens aren't looking at the Russian oligarchs like, oh, we love them. (laughs) So that was kind of part of his campaign. And then once he became president, there was a bit of cleaning house where he removed some oligarchs or some advisors, other men holding power in the Kremlin and installed some of his friends, some people who had been loyal to him. But really the biggest example of an oligarch falling from grace was Mikhail Khodorovsky. What happened was he was a billionaire who owned Yukos, a very big Russian oil company. 
He was arrested in 2003, and the official account, the court order, was that he had committed financial crimes. He was guilty of fraud. He had committed tax evasion. But Khodorovsky claims that he was arrested and punished because he had been funding opposition parties and kind of challenging Putin's authority. Did President Putin or his people say, on this condition, we will release you? Were there any conditions laid? It rather was the reverse. Mr. Putin, on a number of times, publicly said that he was ready to consider the question of my pardoning. But I had to say that I was guilty for that. That was an absolutely unacceptable condition for me. And it really was this watershed moment where other oligarchs realized if we go against Putin, he could easily remove us from power and we would no longer enjoy the access that we had before. So Khodorovsky, the richest man in Russia, gets arrested in 2003. This must have spooked a lot of the other oligarchs in Russia at the time. Yeah, it definitely did. It taught them that they're not going to get special treatment anymore. And they had to sort of move more of their wealth offshore to protect it better. And I wouldn't say it's like they're starting to move their wealth offshore just because of Putin, but it certainly accelerated it and made it more attractive to move more of their wealth offshore. And that's also one of the distinctive aspects of the Russian oligarchy. We have you know, very wealthy billionaires all over the world. But Russian oligarchs tend to keep a larger proportion of their wealth offshore. And of course, a part of that reason is because the rule under Putin tends to seem very unstable to them. You know, one minute you're in power and the next it seems very threatened. So that became more of a priority for the oligarchs. And it really emphasized that the deal under Putin was you can keep your wealth and power as long as you don't interfere in politics. Got it. So that brings us back to today and the sanctions on Russia. What can the current oligarch class realistically do in the face of them? Yeah, realistically, there doesn't seem to be much that they can do. I spoke to Ben Judah, a fellow at the Atlantic Council, who really laid it out clearly. He said it's almost wishful thinking to think that oligarchs today might have any great sway over Putin, especially in this current conflict. And he noted the Security Council meeting Putin held just before invading Ukraine and how that was really illustrative of the relationship between Putin and his top advisors right now. They seemed frightened, nervous, uh, confused even, and no no one spoke out against him in this meeting. Now, some sanctioned oligarchs have called the war a tragedy, Uh, Fairly, you know, innocuous statements on opposing violence and bloodshed, but not really directly condemning Putin. Mikhail Friedman, a sanctioned oligarch and also a co-founder of Alpha Bank, he was asked if he'd put pressure on Putin and he answered, Imposing sanction against us here just create enormous pressure for us personally, but we do not have any impact for political decisions and basically said he couldn't put his partners and staff at risk by commenting further on this. 
Well, if there's not much that the oligarch class can do, then what do we really expect to happen thanks to the sanctions? Will anything happen? It seems unlikely that anything will happen overnight due to the sanctions. But I spoke to Professor Stanislav Marcus, a professor at the University of South Carolina, who's extensively studied Russian oligarchs. And a large part of his research kind of focuses on what it is that oligarchs want from their government and how they could achieve that change. And he argues that so far, the oligarchs haven't felt very motivated to demand more accountability within the Kremlin or demand a more rule of law, more stability, because it was easy enough for them to keep a large share of their money outside of Russia. They could kind of adhere to that contract of, you leave us alone and we'll leave you alone. But the unprecedented nature of these sanctions and the international scrutiny and pressure on the oligarchs right now could maybe affect their feeling on this in the long term. Even though they're not very coordinated as a class, will this war instill a greater motivation and desire for them to demand changes? Maybe. I can't say definitively, and I don't think any experts are saying so definitively, but it does seem like they could want that more. In other words, in addition to the sanctions placed directly on them, the sanctions overall are going to hurt their businesses. And in the long term, it might just get them interested in institutional change. Yes, it definitely hurts them financially right now. And it does seem like it could motivate them for institutional change. Wizzy, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for listening.